Okay, let's lift up our Bibles, smartphones, iPads, whatever you have your Bible on. Let's make our prayer declaration together. Say this with me. This is my Bible, God's holy word. This book is alive and it's powerful. I read other books, but this is the only book that reads me. There are many opinions, but this is the only opinion that counts. Today, I declare by faith, I can do all it says I can do. I can be all it says I can be. And I can have all it says I can have. Today, I ask the Lord Jesus, the living word, to take his written word and personalize it for my life so I can leave here changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Nice to have you back. It's been a while. (laughs) Okay, we've been in a series uh, in the book of Acts that we're calling Empowered, and today I want to talk to you about being empowered for bold obedience. So let me just review a little bit. In the first four chapters, uh, we find the church is growing, it's advancing, things are just going really well, and uh, uh, you, you can find that as this church is growing and advancing, I found in my short time of ministry that every time the church advances, I just want you to know that everybody's happy about it, there's always resistance. <clears throat> in chapter four, we see that w- with the resistance, the church rose up with intense prayer, so much so at the end of chapter four, they go to prayer and the building shakes literally just like it did in the first, uh, in the second chapter of Acts and they are again filled with the Holy Spirit. Then a spirit of generosity falls on the church and a Levite named jo- uh, Joseph, whom the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement because he encouraged everyone with his giving and with his words and he sold some land, laid it at the apostles' feet. So the church is taking ground. There's uh, great physical needs, but supernatural generosity uh, are meeting those needs. And there's opposition, but boldness takes over the believers. And there's this supernatural unity that's coming on the church, which brings us to chapter five, because this is where it kind of, everything's going so well, and then this bizarre, unique event takes place. So rather than read it, I'm going to tell you about it, and then I'll read verse 11 in just a moment. But what happens at the beginning of this chapter, there's a a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. And uh, this couple sells a piece of property, and then instead of, they they could do anything they wanted with it, it was theirs, and uh, they conspire together to take the proceeds and lay it at the apostles' feet. But they decide to only give a partial amount. And what they do then is they come in kind of and do the same thing Barnabas did in the previous chapter. And verse three tells us basically that Peter got a word of knowledge and uh, uh, about this couple. And when Ananias comes in, he says to him this, how is it that Satan filled, has filled your heart, that you have lied to the Holy Spirit, kept some for yourself, and some of the money for yourselves and uh, uh, of the money that you receive from the land. And he goes on to tell him, the money was yours before you sold the land. So we understand that this, this was not coerced giving. This was not socialism. Uh, and then Peter says, 
after it was sold, it was yours to dispose of as you saw fit. But now you've, you've brought this money in, you're pretending that you're giving it all. And he says, you've not lied just to me and to men, but you've lied to the Holy Spirit. And after Peter confronts him with this word of knowledge, he falls dead to the ground. Great church growth. Uh, and all of a sudden, what happens is these young men come in, they wrap him up, they, they take him out back and bury him. It's not the kind of church you want to say, hey, you want to come to church with me next week? It's just not one of those things. But here's the kicker. Three hours later, his wife Sapphira shows up, and Peter asks her. It's, it's like a setup. Is this the price you and your husband got for the land you sold? And she says, yes. And Peter then says the same thing to her that he said uh, to her husband. How, how can you lie to me, to men, and to the Holy Spirit? And she drops over dead. Now, some young men, they come in, they wrap her up, carry her out, and bury her beside her husband. And then we read this verse in verse 11. It says, great fear seized the whole church, and all who heard about these events. Now, I don't know about you, but this seems like a real radical turn from a church that is filled with power, salvations, signs, wonders, and generosity. It was a church you would want to invite all your friends to. Now, all of a sudden, God kills two people. Not exactly what I would consider God's great strategy for church growth. So I want you to know when I read this, I was tempted to skip this because I felt like God uh, was, it just seemed really hard for me. And Lord, how do you preach this kind of thing to the church? But here's what I, I, the more I read it, I saw that there's a principle here that we need for our individual lives and we need it for our church. So this is not on your notes, but you need to know Acts 5 is the first time Satan is mentioned in the New Testament church. And when studying the Bible, the principle of first mention is something you need to take notice of and, and search it out. And here's what I want you to know about Satan showing up in the New Testament church, and that is this. Satan, the enemy of your soul, and all the demons of hell cannot stop the offensive attack of the New Testament church no matter what. I want you to hear this. We pray, we fast, we get in the word, and we have authority in Jesus' name. So when he can't win from without, he always attacks from within. Okay? So he attacks the hearts of God's people, and it's the reason, I want you to hear this, it's the reason churches divide and shut down. It's the reason marriages divorce and divide. It's where gossip criticism, hatred, hypocrisy, deception, and offenses come from, and it starts in the hearts of God's people when they feed on something other than God's word. And what we do is we tend to embrace this instead of obeying what God's word says. By the way, you should know God always adds to the church, multiplies the church, and sometimes subtracts from the church like he did with this couple, but he never divides the church. I had, I, I had somebody come to me, wait a second, what about Paul and Barnabas? They divided, yeah, but God didn't divide them. They had a contention, and they divided. And I want you to know, it, when things like that happen, how many know God can turn it for good? 
but it doesn't mean it was God's idea, okay? So God gets an open door into Ananias and Sapphira's hearts through deception. And you need to know God was not judging these two people for their lack of giving or their partial giving. I don't know about you, but that should make you go, whew. Because if God judged by lack of giving or partial giving, this would be a very small church. Just, okay. So the judgment came because of the deception and the hypocrisy they allowed to enter into their hearts. Now, there are several reasons why that could have happened. Number one, they, they could have been comparing themselves to Barnabas and they saw his generosity and how he sold this land and laid it at the apostles' feet and they began to say to themselves, you know what? I love all the accolades and the praise that Barnabas got from the apostles and from the people and so let's conspire and act like we're generous but we're really not and get the same praise. I just want you guys to know, comparison is a terrible thing. Don't compare yourself to other people. Be who God made you to be and become the best at who God made you to be. They also maybe were like the Pharisees that liked the praise of men and wanted to be seen by the people for what they did on the outside, but they were hypocrites on the inside. And there are a lot of church people like that today. Go to church, act really good. On the outside, they smell good, look good, but on the inside, they're hypocrites. And Jesus talked about this in Matthew 23. By the way, that's the chapter of the woes. And, uh, and Jesus tells the Pharisees there, you look good on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness, and you're dead inside. And Jesus shows up to these Pharisees on the scene, these religious leaders, and challenges their lifestyle of looking good on the outside, but being dead on the inside. And he's saying this, that's not the kind of church I'm going to build. And so he's telling them, I'm not building a church that looks good on the outside. I'm building a church that looks good on the inside. So you can write this down. God is building a church that isn't about dead religion, but a church that is honest and sincere. And when I say sincere, you can add this to your notes. It means this, he's building a church that is full of the fear of the Lord. Now, that is not a popular thing to talk about these days, but it says, after Ananias and Sapphira made this quick exit from the earth, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. And when I say fear there, that's a different word. It means God-fearing. It means this God's bigger, greater, more powerful than I've given him credit for. That's what it means. So uh, it was about them uh, not just getting saved and looking good on the outside, but it was about them getting saved and becoming a reflection of Jesus from the inside out. Now, this is not on your notes, but you should write this down somewhere. What happens is this church gets, gets empowered with the fear of the Lord. So here's a definition of the fear of the Lord. It's, in the Hebrew, it's yirah, and it means to respect, reverence, to stand in awe, rever reverential fear. It means the product of an understanding of the awesome power of God. You know, I, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a home where my brother and I began to think that we were tough and strong. So we stood up to our mom. 
But my mom had a few words that she would use that would all of a sudden bring us back to reality. Just wait till your dad gets home. And all of a sudden, a reverential fear came over our lives. Now listen to this verse, because the fear of the Lord now is on them. They realize God's greater and mighty and powerful than they ever thought. And Acts 9.31, it just tells us this. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living, how do they do this? Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. And I'm telling you, when the fear of the Lord gets on your life and you realize what God has done for your life and you realize what God can do, there's not, it's not based on law. It's based on, I want to obey God because I love him so much for all he's done. Now, this is not in your notes, but you should write this down. The fear of the Lord is the foundation for bold obedience. Let me say that again. The, found, or the fear of the Lord is the foundation for bold obedience. Now, some of you are thinking, Pastor Doug, I don't need another sermon on fear. I know that uh, I've heard so many on it, and I, I'm almost over it, so don't bring it up again. But I just want you to know, some of you are really struggling with fear these days. Some of you are struggling with fears and phobias, a fear of what is going on in our economy. I know a bank shut down, maybe a couple of banks. The whole banking system may shut down. You can't do anything about it. Just prepare as best you can and trust God. He's the bank of heaven. He's bigger than these earthly banks. Uh, some of you have a fear of global warming. I wish they would talk to Grace Harbor about that. But anyway, <laughs> the last couple of days though, have been nice. That's good. We almost hit 71 days. That was huge. All right. Some of you have a fear of not having enough food. They're buying up all the farmland. There's not going to be any food. They're buying up all the farmland. There's not going to be any milk. What are we gonna, they may, there may not be any coffee. What am I going to do? <laughs> a fear of no gas to, to drive your car. A fear of having no electricity. Some of you live with the fear of man. What will they think if I take a stand for this or that? I better just keep my mouth shut. Quit fearing man and fear God. Or some of you have a fear of not finding a spouse. I just want you to know when you're in worship and you're afraid that you might not find a spouse, people have their hands, just check out to see if there's a wedding ring on there. <laughs> and, and maybe the Holy Spirit's talking to you about talking to one of these people and, and, you, and you're wondering, man, maybe I should take her out or ask her out. I just want you to know you'll never know if, unless you obey the prompting of the Holy Spirit. But when you get there, just, and, and, and they say yes, just want you to know, if you get married, you should name your first son Doug the Stud, because it was from this son. Okay. All right. Uh, where was I? Oh, yeah, on the fear of the Lord. Okay. First John 4, 18. Listen to this. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. That means mental and emotional punishment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Now, this is a different word than the, the Hebrew word I gave you earlier for fear. This, this is a, uh, a Greek word. It means, it's, it's the word phobos, and it's where we get the word phobia. So it's saying 
that this word means a dread or terror. It means it strikes terror and brings torment into people's lives. When you're not trusting God, when you're not in the fear of the Lord and you turn to the fear of the world and you're consumed by all the stuff that's going on, I'm telling you, it'll bring terror, it'll bring torment and you just need to know this. Enjoy your life as best you can. Go out to Burger King or someplace else, Kentucky Fried, McDonald's, <laughs> or Maybe you'll splurge and go to Billy's, you know. <laughs> whatever it might be, or Duffy's, whatever. I'm just saying, what, what I'm saying is have a good time in life. You cannot do, anyway, that's another, I'm gonna do the last days in August, all right? So you wanna be there. If the Lord tarries, there will be last day sermon, <laughs> last day series in August, all right? But the word phobia, you just need to know there's a God-given fear that will eradicate all lower fears, all right? So the fear of the Lord is just the opposite of worldly fear. And I, like I told you earlier, it means respect, reverence, and to stand in awe of who God really is. It's the product of understanding the awesome power of God. So it's not, your, your obedience is not based on legalism. It's based on, I'm in awe how great you are, God. And I want to please you, and I want to love you, and I want to give you my best, and I don't want to be a hypocrite. I want to live in wholeness. But when I do make mistakes, I'm quick to repent and get back in right relationship with God. And so what happens is this fear of the Lord, it creates true worship. It brought a true purity in the church and all the believers, and it produced some amazing results. Look at these verses. Verse 12, the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. It didn't drive people away. You'd think it would, but it didn't. Instead, the power of God got stronger. All the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. In other words, they were saying, that looks like a nice church service, but I don't want to die today, so I'll just watch from afar. That's what there's. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their numbers. In other words, even though the apostles, they, they might not agree with them, all the believers were sharing the Lord Jesus with everybody. Verse 15, as a result, say that with me, as a result, people brought the sick into the streets, laid them on beds and mats so that least Peter's shadow might fall on them, uh, on, on them as he passed by. Now, I just want to stop there just for a second. Uh, here's what I think. They thought Peter's the guy that spoke to Ananias and Sapphira. I don't want to get close to that guy, but maybe a shadow will fall on me, and that's good enough. That's, that's what I was thinking. All right, verse 16. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits. In other words, demons. What was the result? All of them, say it with me, all of them were healed. All right, now just for a moment, let me just get this into our spirits because the result of being empowered to have the fear of the Lord on your life and on your church, it, it creates a greater supernatural authority and power to see greater miracles uh, of the sick being healed and to cast out impure spirits or demons out and off of people's lives. The fear of the Lord brought an increase in the supernatural on the church, and this ought to be the norm of New Testament believers today. You need to be walking with the authority and the power of God. Let's read on in verses uh, 17. It says, then, 
the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. These are other church people, folks. They don't, I just want you to know, it's time for us to quit being in competition and start being in completion and rejoice wherever the Spirit of God is moving because they're reaching more people than, than, than we are or maybe apart from us. But how many know together we can reach more? That's the deal. Okay, so they arrested the apostles out of their jealousy, put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail, brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell people all about this new life. So these verses show us how the fear of the Lord empowered these apostles and believers to boldly obey no matter what the consequences are. And these verses give us three principles that I want you to get today so you can be empowered with the fear of the Lord and bold obedience. Here's the first one. Bold obedience usually triggers opposition. Say that with me. Bold obedience usually triggers opposition. Verse 18 says this. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. Now, if you were here last week, you would realize this is the second time in about a week that these guys have been arrested and put in jail for preaching the gospel. So these guys were bold for their faith, bold doing what the Holy Spirit led them to do in spite of the consequences. So the bold reality is when you obey God, you will face opposition many times. Here's what you and I need to know, and you might want to write this down because I firmly believe this. If you are not ready to face opposition for your obedience, you're not ready to be used by God. Let me say that again. If you're not ready to face opposition for your obedience, you're not ready to be used of God. Now, let me just say, every single time I have obeyed God in a significant way, or together, Lois and I together, to advance the kingdom, there's always been opposition. Our first year of marriage, giving an offering to the church, I've shared this story before, but it does bear repeating here. When we were first married, and uh, they were raising money to build a new building for the church, and this guy was preaching, and he said, I believe God is speaking to some people out there today that you are supposed to give $3,000. And uh, I, I felt the Holy Spirit say, that's you. And I don't know about you, but when you're first married, you don't really want to look over at your spouse. She was sitting to my right. I'm on the left. And I decided I wouldn't look at her. And so I felt the Holy Lord still prompting me. So I grabbed a tithing envelope and I looked over at her and she said to me, you're not going to do that, are you? And I said, well, I, I feel like we're supposed to do that. And I said, do you, do you have faith to do that with me? And she said, nope. <laughs> you better have enough faith for both of us. And it wasn't real nice the way she said it. I, I, I'm thinking, we're in church here, Lois, you know. Anyway, can't you put a little hypocrisy in there? No. So we had no money. We just bought a house. And now my wife and I are at odds with each other. And I tried to assure that everything would be okay, that if this is God, God will provide. If it's not God, then it's going to be you know, I was wrong. And so I told her, don't worry. 
I'm, I, this is all going to work out. So I started selling Kirby vacuum cleaners. I'm going to do my part. God's going to do his part. So I go out and sell these vacuum cleaners. These vacuum cleaners were twelve to fifteen hundred bucks for one vacuum cleaner. Sometimes up to two thousand if I could talk them into getting all the extras. So I sell three or four vacuum cleaners, and Lois is so impressed with what this vacuum cleaner will do. She wants me to take all the profits and buy her a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> so I'm thinking, okay. Uh, the Lord or Lois? Lord, Lois, they're kind of synonymous. I'll, I'll, I'll give Lois a Kirby vacuum cleaner. So I got her a Kirby vacuum cleaner, and she was happy. And, and then a year later, we sold our house that we had bought a year before, and we made a good profit. And on our way out of town, we stopped by the church, wrote out a check for $3,000, came home with plenty of money to buy another house and to have some money left over in the bank. And, I, and then she said to me, maybe you were right. Don't you love to hear those words? I said, oh, shucks, honey. It was nothing. It was the Lord. <laughs> but after I became a lead pastor several years later, uh, our 15 and 13-year-old daughters were invited to a public school leadership uh, retreat. We were excited until we found out they were going to teach our kids about a new sex education with different gender ideas and curriculum without us knowing about it. Someone leaked it, and we were very concerned, and we didn't agree with this teaching. So we were faced with a decision and a dilemma. Do we just not say anything, or do we take a stand for God out of obedience as parents? So we took a stand, and it got leaked to the daily world, now, just, this is 35 years ago. And it gets le- leaked to the newspaper. And the next thing I know, there's a picture of me on the front page of the paper, pastor and separation of church and state. And it uh, becomes a big issue. To which I responded, they came and gave me an interview. Unfortunately, we had a really good reporter because I just want you to know, you need to be careful talking to reporters. They don't always put down every word you say. They kind of take what they want make a message out of it. But I said to them, this has nothing to do with the church, even though I'm a pastor. It has everything to do with me being a Christian parent. And I want you to know, this was being taught to our kids behind our backs, and these two girls are our responsibility to raise and to teach them about sex curriculum, and it's not theirs, and they should have told us they were going to do this. Well, after two or three times of being on the front page of the paper... They tried to label us as bigots and racists, but we were heralded as heroes in our community because all the other parents didn't know what was going on either. And so they took a stand with us, and together it got shut down. Now, that's 35 years ago. But here we are 35 years later, and we would be labeled as bigots and racists today and stay that way if you take a stand for raising your children according to the word of God. Almost every significant act of obedience is met with opposition, and sometimes it can be people in your own community and your own school district for obeying your Christian beliefs and convictions. But I want you to know, you still got to boldly obey what God puts on your heart. All right, some of you may shoot me down, but that's okay. (laughs) 
Now, when we started this church, I hoped that other pastors and churches would be excited that we were going to do a new startup church. But this is what came our way. You're doing what? You're starting another church? We don't need another church. What's wrong with the church down the street? Or what's wrong with my church? Why don't you join my church, come under me, and help me build my church? And what are you doing coming here back and starting, coming back and starting a church? That felt like opposition. But you know what I said? I said, I understand where you're coming from, but I'm just doing this because I feel like God told us to do it. And I got to do what God put in our hearts. And so, and my wife was like, we need to do this. And I just want you to know, every significant act of obedience was met with opposition. And if you want to boldly uh, obey God, put it on your calendar. Opposition is coming. I don't know what it will be for you, but I do know if you want to boldly obey Jesus and obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit, without a doubt, uh, you will get opposition somewhere along the, the way. So the second point is this. When you boldly obey, you will often release God's miracles. So even though you're going to get opposition, the power of God will show up like you won't believe. Now, if you remember, this is Luke the physician who's writing this book, and he's very much a detailed type guy. So here's verse 19. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Let me just read it. This is how Luke wrote it. During the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. That's it. Just a few facts. Now, let's be honest. If that was you and me writing this story, here's the way it would look. You're not going to believe what has happened to me. This big hurricane angel came into the prison last night. I think he was 10 feet tall. He had a five-foot sword that was aflame. He was dressed in this amazing apparel, and he walked right through the, the bars of the, of the jail, woke us up. I wake up, and, and, and the chains fall off our hands and our feet, and it was unbelievable. Then he opened the prison doors. I stopped him for a moment and said, can we take a pic right here with these guards that are down on the floor and we can put it on Facebook and all that. No, he, he just said, nope. Listen, here's the thing. Luke just writes the facts. Why? Because when you walk in obedience to God and you're walking in the fear of the Lord, you're not surprised by the miracles that God does. It's a daily thing. That should excite you when you walk in bold obedience. You're not going to be surprised by the miracles God does in and through your life. Now, I'm not saying nothing bad ever happens. These guys were in jail. Not for one time, but for the second time in the middle of a bad day. But here's the thing. In the middle of that bad day, God shows up with an angel to deliver them. When you walk in obedience to God, you shouldn't be surprised when God comes through, but, he, but, we, but we often are. We get surprised when we pray for someone to get saved, and when they do, you're going, you're kidding me. <laughs> or you lay hands on some sick person, and all of a sudden they're healed, and you're going, wow, I can't believe that. The other night, we were watching this movie called Come Out in Jesus' Name. Uh, I'm not saying everybody should go to the movie. It's kind of, um, it'll, it'll raise some thoughts in your mind. And, and, but it's about casting out demons and strongholds and, and it's about Christians having some of those. And so 
my brother's sitting to my right. I talked my brother into going to this movie. He didn't want to go, but I talked him into it. So he's sitting on my right side. And then I've got this girl from a local church here in Aberdeen sitting next to me. And after the movie, this uh, pastor comes on and says, I'm going to lead you through some group renouncements. So as he's leading us just at the beginning, he has a soul stand, and he leads us through some renouncements of witchcraft, Ouija boards, seances, fortune telling, and all that. And two, uh, this girl next to me, the, the girl next to her, starts screeching, screaming, vomiting, falls on the floor. And I felt the Lord told me before I went to this movie, somebody's going to go demonic tonight. And I, I thought, well, that's, that's normal. I've seen that before. I just wasn't expecting to be right next to me. <clears throat> so I look at this girl that's next to me, like, uh, she's a girl, you should. And she looked at me like, you're a pastor. <laughs> so we go over there and we lay hands on this girl and say, in the name of Jesus, you come out of her. And we prayed for her between the, the theater seats. And then Sandy Wixon came over later. And Dan Gebhardt came over. And I'm telling you, the power of God hit that gal. And the peace of God came over her life. I'm not saying she was completely delivered, but I think she came pretty close. And what was fun is to see God's power move through our lives and get used by God. Now, what happened is my brother, I said to him afterwards, we're leaving. I said, you okay? He goes, well, you've told me some stories about that, but I've never seen anything like that. That scared the, the, the willies out of me, I'm telling you. And so I said, don't worry, it scared the willies out of me too. I wasn't expecting her to do that right there in the theater, vomiting and all that stuff. And uh, so on our way out to the cars, I'm telling you, you see something like that and you're just going. So on our way out to the car, we're going, oh, Lord Jesus, forgive us all our sins. Please don't let anything touch us. <laughs> but my, as we did that, just so you know, bold obedience will trigger opposition and bold obedience often releases miracles and it gets people set free. All right? Here's the third thing. Bold obedience always requires faith. Every single time the Holy Spirit prompts you to do something, it's going to require faith to obey him. Is this, you're going to be saying, is this really God telling me? Or was it the chili I ate last night? Or was it the bad pizza? And, and so in verse 20, the angel of the Lord tells him this, go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. Now, the angel's telling, I see, I would be saying, now, wait a second. Can we negotiate this just for a second? This is my, I've been in prison for doing what you're telling me to do twice, and now you're telling us to go out and do it again. And, and so I, I would say, uh, you're telling us not only to go do it again, you're telling us to go to the temple where the most people are and where these guys are who arrested us will be. Do you know what you're telling me to do? That takes faith to obey what he's telling you to do. Now, maybe you're like me, and so, You'd like some details. And you say, Lord, could you give me some details about this thing you're asking us to do? And the Lord says back to you, no, you want, you want details? You can't handle the details. <laughs> if I tell you the details, you won't obey. And he's right. If I knew all the details about pastoring in my life before I said yes, somebody else would be standing up here right now, just so you know. So you have to learn the song that we grew up with in Sunday school. 
trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And I learned that song in Sunday school, and I've never forgotten it because it's true when it comes to uh, obedience. And a good place to start when it comes to obedience is knowing God's word. Now, I'm not saying know the phone, know the Bible on the phone. And so I would say, make sure you're reading your Bible. If you got your phone out, make sure you're reading your Bible. I know what some of you do. You act like you're reading your Bible, but we know better. Some of you are checking out Facebook, TikTok, Instagram. I'm bored with Pastor Doug's sermon. I'm doing all this stuff. And I'm telling you right now, if that's the case, put that sucker away or get into the word of God. Just saying, that's the way it should be, all right? Because it says in Psalm 119.105, it says, his word is a light to our path and a lamp to my feet. So what you do, this is what the word of God is like. You have this light on your phone, and that's what, what the word of God does. It gives you enough light to take the next step. And then as you take that step, then he gives you enough to take the next step. And as you keep obeying the Lord in those little steps, it turns into something big. So just, just so you know, uh, as he reveals his will through his word and the promptings of his Holy Spirit, we obey step by step by faith because as we learn, we can start to trust God. And we learn this, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So we learn all of that. Now, I remember uh, years ago, now it's been 15 years ago, I thought that God was leading me to take a step that we were supposed to buy the Rite Aid building over here. It's the Bymart now. And I remember telling the church, I feel like the Lord's saying, we're supposed to buy that building. And we started bringing in money and thousands of dollars started coming in. And we eventually got up to $300,000. And everything was looking good. The realtor uh, who was acting on behalf of the owner came to me and said, there's just one thing. We've lowered it down from one and a half million to 650,000. Man, I'm thinking we, we've got this thing, 50,000 square feet. And it was a junker. It was in bad shape. And I'll never forget, the guy says, there's only one glitch here. The owner wants you and Lois to put everything you own in your name, give it to him as collateral. And once you pay it off, he'll give it back to you. Now, remember, you need wise counsel when those things happen. So I told Lois, I said, well, I'm willing. She said, well, I'm not. That's not going to happen. I said, well, can we ask some more other people, thinking they might side with me? And so we called Jenny Smith. She's on our executive team, uh, Wendell Smith's uh, wife, and asked Jenny. And she said, what are you thinking? No way. You're not going to do that. Do not do that. that. God does not want you to do this. So then I called Mark Cargill, the prophetic man of God who comes here often. And he said, what is wrong with you, bro? <laughs> so we didn't buy the building. And I felt like I'd missed it. And Lois said, you didn't miss it. That was the catalyst for us to have the money to pay cash for this building when it became uh, available. So God was working all along, but I felt like, man, I sure blew that one. But I, I know God works in spite of, of people. And so he did that. So I've learned what looks impossible to men is possible with God by faith. Now, I just want you to know, as you, as you walk in obedience and it takes faith, tithing takes obedience and faith. Running your business for God takes obedience 
and faith. Staying in your marriage takes obedience and faith. Starting a city group takes obedience and faith. It takes faith to obey God when he's asking you to talk to someone about Jesus that you don't have, that you've never met at a restaurant or in a grocery store. And I love this next verse. It says this. So these guys, the angel tells me to go to the temple. It says this. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts and as they had been told and began to teach the people, when the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. So what happened is they, they didn't realize the apostles had gotten put, got out of jail. And now they find out they're... This, this hurricane angel came in there and let him out. And now they're out there preaching the gospel. So they still obey. They, listen, they didn't wait for breakfast. They didn't wait until after lunch. They obeyed immediately and did what God told them to do. Here's two things you can write down. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. Whatever God prompts you or whenever he prompts you, we need to obey immediately and fully no matter what. If it's big, you and I should obey immediately. If it's small and, uh, and insignificant, we should still obey immediately. Like a simple burden for a person, and you know the prompting of the Holy Spirit says, you should call them. You should write them a note. You should send them a text. And not, this was actually a couple of years ago, but... I felt the Lord just prompt me about calling somebody, and I did. And I found out a couple of days later, they told me that they were thinking about taking their life and committing suicide. You never know how one small act of obedience can make a difference, a huge difference in somebody else's life. So what is? So they, they take them, arrest them again, uh, the apostles. They whip them and tell them, go back, but you can never use the name of Jesus again. And Peter says this statement and the other apostles. We must obey God rather than men. Read that with me. We must obey God rather than men. We must be obedient Christians, walk in the fear of the Lord. Our our boldness is born out of belief that Jesus is the Son of God. He died, was buried, and rose from the dead for yours and my sin, and I'm not going to keep quiet about it because I'm a a must Christian. I've got to do it. And you can lock us up. You can beat us. You can do whatever you want, but I'm going to keep sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and as the fear of the Lord gets on our lives. Now, here's the result of bold obedience. Verse 41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Boldness is behavior born out of belief that God, our God is an awesome God and to be held in awe. Now, as we close, I want to just say this. I've been on the front page of the paper several times in my 30 plus years of ministry. Never for accolades, but trying to serve God as best I can. And it hurt. 
because I wanted to be liked. I wanted people to love me. But I've realized serving God does not guarantee everybody's going to like you. And my goal is to make him proud of me no matter what people think. And I'm going to keep preaching the name of Jesus wherever I go. No matter what, I want you to know there's been great opposition, but I'm still here and I'm still preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's stand. Some of you need to know that you're here today because you need to hear the good news of Jesus. That Jesus is the Savior of the world and He came to earth just for you to forgive you, forgive your sins and to give you a brand new, fresh start. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in just a moment. And it will take boldness, it will take guts to obey the Holy Spirit's prompting that is tugging on your heart right now. And you need to know this. If you're coming back to the Lord or do it, coming to the Lord for the first time, you've got to do this not out of the fear of man. Do not care what people think. Do not care what anyone's going to think of you. You're doing this because you know Jesus died for your sins and you need a savior and you need a fresh start and you gotta get over the fear of man. And if that's you today, you need to raise your hand right now and say, that's me. I need Jesus in my life. I don't wanna keep him up high. Don't, don't, don't worry about anybody else. I see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten hands, come on, there might be more, but I see ten. All right, here's what we do here. You're not doing this alone. We're doing this together. You're welcome into the family of God. So let's all pray this prayer together. Say this with me. Believe in your heart. Confess it with your mouth. Father God, thank you for loving me so much that you sent your son, Jesus, to die in my place. I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me for all my sins, all my mistakes and all my failures. Come into my life. Be my savior, my Lord, my boss, my friend, and my king. And by your grace and by your power, I will serve you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand. Now, if you gave your life to Jesus today, you need to get baptized in water, Get in fresh start, start growing. Now I want to talk to you as believers just for a moment. Some of you are bound by fear. And God wants to remove that thing and put the fear of the Lord on your life. You can't do anything about what's going on in the world except pray and trust God and obey. And as you do that, God will take care of you. I don't care what happens to the rest of the world, God promised he'll take care of his kids, all right? So you need to get prayer this morning, get that spirit of fear off of you, get some healing, whatever it might take. Let's have the prayer team come up, and as they do, let's worship just for a bit.